Morning. So wise up about life and death. That's what Christoph put my name against. Thanks, Christoph. Um, I'd really appreciate as we begin this morning to to pray together uh, as we come to look at this topic. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that you'd continue to show your great and your steadfast love to us this morning. Help us to walk before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. Give us an understanding mind as we think about life and death. Help us uncover how we should live for you, how we should love and see you more. Amen. So the words life and death are thrown around a lot these days. As if your life depended on it. Holding on for dear life. Signing your own death warrant. Living the life of Riley. Whoever Riley was or is. And you live by the sword. You die by the sword. What matters above all else to folks is sometimes termed as a matter of life and death. As a Liverpool fan, I can quote a former manager, Bill Shankly. Some people think football is a matter of life and death. I assure you, it's much more serious than that. Or reflecting on our series so far, the money in our bank account, our job, our current health status, the number of friends we have on Facebook, could very well seem like matters of life and death to us. The past few days might also highlight to us how society adds a lot of pressure to those sitting exams, making the results appear like a matter of life and death to our teenagers. The words life and death occur 56 times in the book of Proverbs, and death and die occur 20 So we're going to look at each of these 76 and spend a minute on each. We're really not, so don't panic. But the the disclaimer for today is that as we look at the topic of life and death, rather than focusing on the theology of, of heaven and of hell, we're hopefully going to look more closely at what the book of Proverbs says about life and death and how gaining wisdom will help us to do that. It's important as we start talking about life and death to actually define their meaning according to the book of Proverbs. So throughout the book of Proverbs, life and death are more than physical events. More than life beginning, as we know so well here in this church, life uh, is more than just the beginning of a child's life. And, And death, well, it's more than death occurring when a heart stops beating. Wisdom has a wider definition of death, seeing it as a constant threat to life. Think of it this way. You have a birthday. Sometimes you like to forget it, but you have a birthday, and you knew that day. It's on the calendar. But you also have a death day. It too is on the calendar. You just may not know when. Proverbs sees death as as both an event our death day, whenever that might be, 
and a state beyond that event, so where and how eternity is spent. But also, Proverbs highlights that we are dead already because of our sin. Simply put, life, life is more than having a pulse. And death, death is more than not having a pulse. Let's spend the next few moments looking at what Proverbs says about death and how we can be trapped on a path that leads to death. Proverbs 11, verse 6. The godliness of good people rescues them. The ambition of treacherous people traps them. Proverbs 5, verses 21 to 23. For the Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path he takes. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch him and hold him. He will die for lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his great foolishness. Proverbs often compares the lifestyles of the wicked and the lifestyles of the righteous. The danger is that we could be reading Proverbs today and consider the verses about wickedness and consider them to only be about those around us. And then we look at the verses about righteousness and we think of those are verses about us. Death is currently casting a shadow on life. Death is encroaching on life right now in the forms of sickness, aging, suffering, fear, guilt, anxiety, confusion, boredom, and above all, sin. There are two main views I want to look at when chatting about sin and chatting about what freedom is. The first and the most likely view that will overlap with society is that we're not so dead, that we're not so blind, so binded to corruption, so binded to sin, that we can't decide on our own to be good or to walk in the light. On the other side of the coin, sin and freedom can be seen as, well, that we are so corrupt in our hearts, so drawn towards sin, so in love with ourselves, that we can't possibly rescue ourselves, that we couldn't possibly find a way out. It is morally impossible for one who is in love with the darkness to walk in the light. What is needed is a resurrection. What is needed is an awakening. So picture it like this. Imagine a pendulum or a metronome. Over here is the light and over here is darkness. Here is the righteous And here is the wicked. Here is the saint. And here is the sinner. Here is life. And here is death. Society as a whole, and some of us, may see freedom as being poised right here. Containing within ourselves the ability and the capacity to determine I could go this way 
or I could go this way. That is freedom. But that's not what the Bible says freedom is. What is it then? What is freedom if not being poised delicately between righteousness and wickedness? Poised delicately between good and evil? Well, since we are all dead, we are locked down over here. We inherited our guilt, our corruption from Adam. Put it this way, you don't have to be taught to do bad. So we're locked down here, hating good, loving ourselves, consumed by our pride. We need to be set free. We need an awakening. We need a resurrection. And the good news is that we have a rescuer. We have Jesus. He can rescue us from lust, from selfishness, from greed, from those things that so easily entangle. We have hope. And as we think about that metronome again, those who accept Christ into their lives have been set free. 1 Corinthians 9 or 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God with your lives. Some of you may have heard the news story recently of an American teenager whose phone saved his life. Sam Ray, who was 18 years old, was working on his car when the jack that was holding the car up buckled, pinning him under the car. With no one around to help or to hear him call for help and his arms unable to reach anything, he remembered he had his phone in his back pocket. So thank goodness he had an iPhone because it has voice recognition and he was able to call on the assistant called Siri and Siri called 911. The emergency services got to him and he's recovered from his injuries, broken ribs, bruised kidney, burns, etc., But they say his injuries would have been a lot worse had he been trapped there much longer. He revealed afterwards, though, and confessed that he had been considering changing his phone from an iPhone to a Samsung Galaxy. As an an Apple man myself, I would have highly discouraged it. But now, since his his ordeal, he has confessed that, well, he said, I'll have an iPhone for the rest of my life. I owe them that. So you see, we were trapped in sin, but our rescuer came, and he bought us with a price himself. We owe Christ our lives. God doesn't raise people from the dead to new life through Christ to go neutral, where we can then choose to be godly or to be wicked. That's not what new birth is. New birth says, there, you're now God's. You're in Christ. Your eyes are open. And you now see him so valuable that you're dedicated to him. Dedicated to the one who gives us hope while suffering. Who defeated sin. Who conquered the grave. Once enslaved by sin, now free through him.
So now through the life and death of Christ, we have freedom. It allows us to live more for him. At the beginning of our Wise Up series, Christoph unpacked that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. From Proverbs 1 verse 7 it reads, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But Proverbs also tells us that the fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain. Proverbs 19 verse 23, fear of the Lord leads to life, bringing security and protection from harm. Proverbs 14 verse 27, fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain. It offers escape from the snares of death. And Proverbs 12 verse 28, the way of the godly leads to life. That path does not lead to death. The words path and way and their plurals appear in Proverbs nearly a hundred times. Proverbs, you see, sees wisdom as a path, as a path to walk, where that path of wisdom gives us more life. We can live more in the assurance that wisdom does three things. Wisdom protects our path, wisdom directs our path, and wisdom perfects our path. Emphasize most notably if, we, if you get a chance later to look through Proverbs 2, Proverbs 3, and Proverbs 4. Touching on those verses that link to it. Protecting our path. Proverbs 2, verses 7 to 8 reads, He guards the paths of the just. And protects those who are faithful to him. Wisdom. God. Also directs our path. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do. And he will show you which path to take. And perfecting our path. Something we may not catch here in Northern Ireland. But... Proverbs 4, verse 18. The way of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, which shines ever brighter until the full light of day. The final verse that Christoph read from Proverbs 11, verse 30. You may have noticed in the Bible that you had, I'm not sure, but there's, on most Bibles there's an extra note at the bottom. The seeds of good deeds become a tree of life. A wise person wins friends. Or the additional note that you'll see, those who win souls are wise. The wise share Christ with others and are radiant for him. The next verse may be familiar if we remember Richie teaching us it in song. But 2 Corinthians 5.17 and the following verses read as follows. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, 
no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. So that we could be made right with God through Christ. Live more knowing this as Christ's ambassadors. Reflecting him and bringing others to our wonderful father. When Paul was in chains, and when he looked his own death in the face, if you want to turn to it, Philippians 1, verse 20. Paul was bound in chains, unknowing whether he'd be released or whether he'd be killed. And this is what he wrote, Philippians 1, verse 20. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. He continues, and this is from the New Living Translation, for me, living means living for Christ. And dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for the sake of others, it is better that I continue to live. You see, Paul, he wanted Christ to be glorified in both his life and in his death. Echoed by his words to the Corinthians, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Wanting God to look glorious to others by the way we live. Proverbs 8, verses 32 onwards reads, Now then, my children... Listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not discard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those, those who find me, find life and receive favor from the Lord. But those who fail to find me harm themselves. All who hate me love death. A few comments about Proverbs as we look at this topic. Proverbs is not saying that life, that blessings from God are earned in any way. Life is not given to those who have a spiritual checklist been to church, said my prayers at mealtimes, I've read my Bible at least once this week, I've given some money to the church. If we think that, 
then we're missing the picture altogether. The Bible is very clear. Romans 6 reads that we're not under law, but we're under grace. Proverbs also doesn't promise that if we walk the path of wisdom, that we won't suffer and we won't struggle. Proverbs says that troubles in this life are inevitable for everyone. Proverbs 10 verse 25, when the storms of life come, the wicked are whirled away, but the joy for us and those that follow Christ is that the godly have a lasting foundation. And Proverbs may say, Proverbs 13 verse 21, that troubles chase sinners while blessings reward the righteous. But these blessings are not necessarily promised for now. The joy is that the rewards for the righteous that Proverbs talks about, they are coming. They will come. They will come when he comes again. When the Father opens his arms and welcomes us to live forevermore with him. Similarly, in Proverbs 11, which we were reading, Proverbs 11, verses 18 and 19 read, Wicked people get rich for the moment, but the reward of the righteous will last. Godly people find life. Evil people find death. John 17, verse 3. This is Jesus' prayer before being arrested. He said that this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. And then 1 John 5. He has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. This is a, an illustration I saw a few years ago, and I hope it'll help as we conclude. So, imagine this rope. Imagine this rope is never-ending. Now, I'm not trying to insult your intelligence. We all know it runs out over there. But imagine that this is a never-ending piece of rope. Now, imagine that this long rope is a timeline and imagine this timeline is your life. And you see this red part? This is our life on earth. You have a few short years here on earth. And then you have all of eternity somewhere else. And what's worrying is that all we can think about, all we care about sometimes is this red part. We can be consumed by it. You know, we get through life and you say, I can't wait to be here. I'm going to work, 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 save lots, so that when I get to this little part, I can eat well, I can travel, and I'll enjoy this last part of this red. We teach that career, that house, that the number of friends we have on Facebook maybe, that so many other things that distract us, comforts in life, 
that they're the most important things? Really? Is that what we are meant to achieve in this red part? We get so caught up in the here and now, we need to step back and get perspective. Jesus is the only one who offers hope in life and in death. We need to live in the light of that. Proverbs 11, verse 23. The godly can look forward to a reward, while the wicked can only expect judgment. Why then would we spend this red part making ourselves as comfortable as possible, enjoying ourselves as much as we can? Obtaining wisdom isn't a once a week hobby. It's a daily discipline of life. In an age of microwave ovens, fast food, shortcuts, many of us are out of the habit, myself included, of daily investing time and energy, digging deep into scripture and learning wisdom from God. Those who obey the wisdom taught in God's word will become more skillful in handling the affairs of life. People around us, ourselves included, can be so willing to work diligently in our jobs because we know at the end of the day that we get a paycheck. But applying ourselves diligently to God's word in order to gain riches more valuable than silver and gold, riches that will last forever, that might be a different matter. Have we got the picture? Have we got perspective? Paul told us that he wanted to invest so heavily in this red part. He wanted to die less and live more for Christ. That he wouldn't get distracted by the things of this life. That he would run the race set out before him. So that when he crossed the finish line, he would live forevermore. Meeting God with arms wide open welcoming him, a servant good and faithful, into an eternity with him. Proverbs 3, verse 21 to 26. Do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. Preserve sound judgment and discretion. They will be life for you, an ornament to grace your neck. Then you will go on your way in safety and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Have no fear of sudden disaster or of ruin that overtakes the wicked. For the Lord, he'll be at your side and will keep your foot from being snared. finish as I say this, the Chronicles of Narnia. The series was concluded when C.S. Lewis wrote in the last battle. For them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world, all their adventures in Narnia, had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, 
in which every chapter is better than the one before. Amen.